Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. We're looking at uh, Mark chapter 5 today, if you've got your Bibles or the Uversion app. We'd love for you to open up and follow along with us. Uh, Today's the um, final message in uh, this series, Jesus is Faith-Filled. Next week we start a a, a new series, actually our Christmas series. Uh, That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Um, Called The Biggest Story, uh, where every story whispers God's name and His name whispers your name. And uh, we're really believing for new revelations and insights over the Christmas series as we do every week. Uh, We'd love you to be uh, around and participating in that with us, uh, inviting people along to hear how their story is connected to the story of God uh, all throughout the course of history. Um, But for today, our final series, Jesus is Faith-Filled. And if you're, whether you're new or regular amongst us we pray that you're really encouraged and open to the life-changing transforming work of the Holy Spirit I believe Jesus is already doing some work amongst us and he wants to continue that as we engage and connect with his word as well Uh, this series is uh, I guess reminding us uh, that when we are faithful faithless Jesus is faithful Uh, when we feel stuck or uncertainty um, that we uh, we can know that Jesus is faith-filled and uh, we can trust in Him and pursue His heart and know His healing and know His love and be restored into a relationship with Him. We can be restored physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally uh, through the promises and through the, the faith-filling nature of Jesus. There's this uh, tree out in the car park. Has anyone seen this tree out in the car park? Has anyone felt like ripping this tree up? Yeah, I have. Uh, I can promise you that I've been nowhere, uh, because you all, uh, most of you, or many of you will be aware of my gardening joys uh, and the prowess that I bring to the garden. I mean, my mindset about the garden was let's just concrete it and paint it green. Um, <laughs> so then at least we can put a tennis court or a basketball court on it in our, in our home and it'd be useful. Uh, but this is a problem with gardens. Some things die, or they look like they're dead. Now, I've been assured and clearly instructed, don't touch the tree. I haven't poisoned it. I haven't been near it. I often walk past it and think, i just probably go like that, and I would have it. And yet I've been assured, been assured by some people who know more than I do, that they've gone up and inspected the tree, they've scratched below the surface, And this tree, being a eucalyptus tree, is very hardy, is very much alive. I look forward to seeing a different photo in 12 months' time. But you'll all be watching it with intent now, won't you? You'll all be looking for it because you've been told that this tree is alive because someone has scratched below the surface. Because someone has scratched into what is unseen and discovered that this tree is still alive. And see, what I want to encourage us today, that Jesus might want to scratch below the surface from even what we present and the image that we have presented or even what we bring to Jesus 
and we might look like we're very much alive. We might even look worse than this tree because we give the image of being very much alive, but when we scratch below the surface and we hope that nobody else does, incidentally, we're not discovering much life. But I want to suggest to you today that even when we, when we allow Jesus to scratch below that surface, he says to you that you are very much alive. You are very much alive. I'm told in this tree too that the leaves need to stay on it. Because though, though this tree looks dead to us, the leaves still protect it from a frost. So even though it looks like it's not doing much, there is still a function taking place that's protecting this tree. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that? Maybe you feel like you're sitting here today and your faith isn't doing much. And yet there is still a function of coming into worship that protects you and ensures that you stay alive. Maybe you think about dropping out a life group or maybe you think about not serving and yet there's a function in that which ensures that we are very much alive. Consider this, pos- this personally, consider the image of this tree personally in our attitudes, in our families, in our workplaces, even in the church that God is continuing to build, in the church that God is still building, in the church that God has promised to build. We think about our circumstances, we think about the events that we've been a part of, we think about the decisions that we have made or the decisions that others have made on our behalf. Or we think about a revelation of the Holy Spirit as we seek to listen to Him and be obedient to Him. See, to see the church, workplaces, families, community transformed, there needs to be a work done in us. And it's a realisation for new life to come, maybe there needs to be a scratching below the surface. Or for new life to come, there needs to be a willingness in us, in me, in you, for something to die and that could be an attitude it could be a mindset it could be a behavior it could be the way that we treat people it could be the view that we have about the world it could be the view that we have about ourselves it could be the view we have of others something needs to die and we might need to allow Jesus to scratch just below the surface. I really believe that God's already doing His work here today. I really believe that God is scratching below the surface and some of us feel a little bit uncomfortable in that. See, this is, and this is part of the, I'm going off track here, this is, part of the, this is part of the struggle when God starts to do His work. We get uncomfortable and we withdraw. I want to say, if you feel like God is doing His work, you need to stay there because if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if God is doing His work, that's, He's bringing healing to a wound. All right, so often when we have a wound, it gets infected and it spreads and it does that spiritually, emotionally and physically. You don't, you don't stay away from a doctor if you've got an inch deep wound on your body. It's going to hurt. <laughs> that anaesthetic's going to feel great. Not. The stitches will be uncomfortable, but you need that. You need that. And I really believe this is like building on from last week where we left it just encouraging people to listen to Jesus. God's saying, this is my son, listen to him. And I want to encourage you, despite the discomfort you might be feeling today, listen to him. Listen to him. 
So the realisation that we have when, when for new life to come, something has to die, that causes us, a grief. that causes us grief. That causes us sadness because all of a sudden we might be thinking about all the things we've missed out on, all the hurt we've caused, or all the hurt that's been caused us, and all of a sudden you're asking me to leave all that behind? You're asking me not to complain about that anymore? I'm asking you to look at all that through the lens of Jesus. I'm asking you to look at all that through the fact that your roots, despite the fact you feel dead, you look dead, you're pretending to be alive, your roots are going down into a deeper soil. When we feel like life is over, I want to suggest to you that it is the moment that God is planting something new and birthing something new. God creates, he restores, he renews and he makes something out of nothing. And just in case you miss it, that's actually the creation story. Out of the formless, God speaks something into being. God might be doing a new creative work in you today. Out of what you feel to be formless, God is speaking something new into being. But our response and our participation in this new life depends very much on who has authority over our lives. I want to read to you a a, a bracketing section of uh, Mark chapter 5. Remember a couple of weeks we started reading Mark chapter 5, the story of uh, Jairus, the synagogue leader, and then the woman who was bleeding interrupted that story. So we, we reflected on the woman bleeding a couple of weeks ago, so I won't go in there. So I'll jump a couple of verses. So Mark chapter 5. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And this is where the story gets interrupted by a woman uh, bleeding. Jesus heals her. Uh, and she encounters peace. Her faith heals her, and she encounters Jesus, shares her story, and encounters peace. So continuing the story of Jairus in verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, a synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? I think that's an incredibly profound statement that I'll get back to in a minute. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Fair enough, yeah? Little girl's dead. It's fair enough. We would expect people to be crying and and wailing. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead but asleep. Jesus sees something that we cannot yet see. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, excuse my grammatical lack of accent, uh, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. That is an astonishing passage, isn't it? So a few things I want to draw out of this. 
Just a few things that strike me, shock me even, and I hope that they might speak into your heart and your mind. Firstly, what I find about this is that um, the synagogue leader is named. The woman is not. So what we hear here is a synagogue leader feels like he has permission and space to go and approach Jesus. Maybe he's given a path through because of his status within the community and yet Jesus chose to pay attention to an unnamed woman. Do you feel unnamed, unnoticed, unrecognised? Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. That doesn't dismiss or disqualify the synagogue leader or the community leader, I think it actually speaks to the scope and the capacity of Jesus to see every single one of us, regardless of our place, regardless of our status, regardless of our experience, regardless of our encounters, regardless of our abuse, regardless of our rejection, regardless of our acceptance, Jesus still sees us. While people might see us for our status, And our position, Jesus scratches below the surface. Just come back with me in Mark chapter 3 a little bit. We see this story uh, early in Jesus' ministry or sometime in Jesus' ministry. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He, Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebub. Beelzebul, sorry, the demon himself. And he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. Guess who Jairus is meant to align with? So what do you think's happening for a synagogue leader here? When he's, he would have known this statement's been made. He would have heard the talk of the church leaders. Avoid him. Don't enter into conversation with him. Don't ask him to do anything. Let's just watch him. Let's set him up. He's a troublemaker. And Jairus here, Jairus steps out of his tradition He steps out of his heritage. He steps out of what's expected. He steps out of uh, every social standing and social norm that's expected of him. He, in fact, risks his whole social standing to ask Jesus to heal his daughter. His family's livelihood, let me suggest even. That might be too much poetic license, but Jairus might have to, at some stage, go back and see those same religious leaders, the scribes, who had said that Jesus is driving out demons by demons, and Jairus has got to face them again at some stage. How do you reckon that conversation's going to go? Sometimes our social standing, our traditions and our heritage need to be put to death so that we can encounter the life in Jesus. But this is also a struggle, and if you, if you think this is nerve-wracking, this is also a struggle that Jesus faced. Check this out in Mark chapter 6. Jesus went to his hometown. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this just the little boy, Mary's little boy? We saw him growing up. Don't you hate it when people say that? Oh, we remember when you were a kid. That's a horrible way to remember someone. It depends what you were like. There's no doubt about that. You might have been a great kid. But I think sometimes we, we see people in the past and they oh yeah, I remember you. <laughs> Jesus sees you. 
Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Are his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus risks everything, gives up everything. And Jairus thought that was worth enough to follow. See, if you feel like you have to give up everything, you can know that Jesus has done that as well. You staying with me? Let Jesus continue to minister. The woman says to Jesus, that, and we missed this part today, but the woman says uh, in amongst the crowd, if I just touch his clothes, he will be healed. What strikes me in contrast to that is that the, the, uh, the helpers or the assistants or the family, from, or the people from Jairus' house, they come and the best that they've got is your daughter is dead, why bother the teacher anymore? See, even without saying it, the woman who was bleeding recognized Jesus and had faith that Jesus could heal. The people from Jairus' house could only see Jesus as the teacher. That's a distinct difference there. Sometimes we get so caught up in one image of what we think Jesus should do and how we think Jesus operates that we just miss out, just, just reach out and touch him. Sometimes we're so stuck in our heritage and our traditions or our way of life or what's been passed on to us, all the good and the bad stuff, and we refuse to just call teacher as Lord and healer. And all he wants is that we reach out in touch, have enough faith just to reach out in touch, and then he will change our lives. And then we go home and say, but he's not changing my life because all we see, we only see teacher. Or we only see what we want to see. And we won't completely surrender to him. I love the next statement. Jesus overheard this statement, your daughter is dead, why bother the teacher anymore? Jesus overhears that statement. He's not actually in the statement. And he turns and he looks, hey, don't, don't be afraid. Just believe. And some of us sitting here today in the midst of our struggles and Jesus scratching below the surface and wounds being healed, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, just believe. If your mindset of Jesus is changing, don't be afraid, just believe. If you're not sure how this is going to look at home, don't be afraid, just believe. Listen to him. And finally, in verse, chapter 5, verse 41, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, little girl, I say to you, get up. What struck me about this, and I, I, just blew me away, when we don't trust Jesus, when we limit Jesus to our tradition and our heritage or the way that we think he should operate, we're unable to participate in the life that he offers. Jesus doesn't criticize the crowds for their weeping and their wailing and their, their crying out a little girl's death. That's not what they're put out for. I, I believe there was a lot of people put out of this room because they laughed at him. Because they didn't have faith in who he was. Because they weren't willing to be seen by Jesus. See, if you read through the first few chapters of Mark, what you see is that Jesus have, has authority over the wind and the waves. 
He has authority over illness and sickness. He has authority over unclean spirits and demons. And finally, he has authority over death itself. Don't be afraid. Just believe. See, for the woman who was bleeding, all the money that she had and all the doctors that she'd gone to for 12 years didn't save or restore the woman. All the physical resources that she had couldn't save her. As Jairus came to Jesus, it wasn't his tradition that saved him. It wasn't his heritage that saved him. It wasn't his success. It wasn't his position. It wasn't community respect. It wasn't his social standing. None of that prevented his daughter from dying. And some of us sitting here today feel like we are dying. And when life seems over, Jesus sees below the surface. And he sees what is unseen. And he calls out new life. See, life is discovered when we risk everything of ourselves and put our faith in Jesus. Life is discovered when we risk everything of ourselves and put our faith in Jesus. And this is the most incredible life-giving message. This is indeed good news. Listen to him. Listen to him. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus has come to heal and save, to restore and renew. And the longer I'm alive and the longer I'm involved in ministry, the longer I'm involved in serving the local church, the longer I'm involved in the local community, this is the only message that heals and saves and restores. We give thanks for the medical profession. We give thanks for the agencies that pro provide help for us and, and um, release resources to us. There's no doubt about that. But Jesus saves, Jesus restores, Jesus renews and when we feel like life is over, Jesus is calling out something new. And this is the reminder as we participate in communion. I'm going to ask us to participate in communion today. Not passively, but actively. See, before Jesus went to the cross, he wrestled with what he was being asked to do. And as he wept in the garden, he weeps and he cries out to his father in prayer, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. There has to be another way. Life is over. <laughs> but not my will be done. Your will be done. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Listen to him. Jesus had the courage and the humility to listen to his Father. And so many of us sit and we wrestle and we argue and we dispute and we complain and we bicker and we hold back simply because we're not to come to the Father and say, I don't get it, I don't understand it, I don't really want to do it, but I'll listen to you. Jesus was willing to submit to the plans and the purposes, to the love and to the glory of his Father. As Jesus hangs on the cross, his life nearly over, his life being squeezed out of him as he suffocates, as he's been tormented, tortured, abused, 
beaten, spat upon, mocked, as his life hangs there, quite literally in every aspect, physically, emotionally, spiritually, he looks at those who had crucified him and he says, Father, forgive them. Well, that's an astonishing statement, isn't it? I see more than what they're presenting. I see just below the surface. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He cries out and he's dying, My God, why have you forsaken me? Which actually becomes, if you go to the Psalm 22, it actually becomes a statement of hope, a statement of promise. My God, why have you forsaken me? becomes, my God, my Lord. And then finally with his final breath, it is, he says, it is finished. The work is complete. There's nothing that prevents us from entering into the presence of our Father. And it's in the resurrection of Jesus that God makes all things new. When we look at the death of Jesus, when everybody else was looking at the death of Jesus and all they saw was death, God was planning something new. He was redeeming life. He was restoring life. He was calling out something out of nothing, making all things new. And isn't that all we really want? To have all things made new? This is the power of faith. And this is the promise of faith-filled living. God is not yet finished. You might feel like your life is over, but God is not yet finished. He's done everything possible to remove the barrier between you and Him. But he's doing a new work in you. He's doing a new work in me. He's completed the work that broke down every barrier between you and him, me and him, so that we could step into a full and restored life with him. A work that will be ongoing until we take our final breath and then we will receive the glory that as yet is unseen. So in this, can I ask the helpers to come forward, please? There's going to be four helpers down the front and four helpers up the back. And I want to invite you just to go, don't just go and take the bread and the cup and participate in it. Take it, that's fine. Yeah, four, four can go up the back, take a tray and just go and stand up the back. Thank you. Whichever four are doing that. Um, don't just go and participate in it and then go back to your seat. Maybe If you need to go with your husband or your wife, and declare something new over your marriage. Declare something new over your children. Um, if you need to come with your family, or maybe you need to come as parents and declare something new over your children. Or maybe you need to come and declare something new, the healing work of Jesus over your workplace, or over your finances, or over your health or over your uh, emotional health, or over your mental health. Declare the work of Jesus. Maybe it's in the uncertainty of what tomorrow holds, let alone next year. Declare the promises of Jesus that he's doing a new thing. Maybe you feel like your life is over and you're not seen. Come and participate in the meal. Sit on the floor, kneel on the floor, lie on the floor. People will step over you. It's okay. 
Don't be afraid, just believe that God sees below the surface and he's doing something new. And this meal is a reminder of something new happening. So I really want to invite us to participate today. Don't just come and eat the wafer and drink the juice and say that was very nice. What is it that you need to declare the life and the death of Jesus over so that you can experience the resurrection of Jesus? Does that make sense? Maybe you need to grab someone else. You don't know what you're declaring. Just ask them to come and stand with you and pray with you and declare something new. Maybe you don't want to reveal it to somebody else. Just ask them to come and stand there. You can sit on the platform if you need to come and sit up here. That's find your space and hold it and remember the life, death and resurrection and ask that he declare something new. So Pam's just going to play and I'm going to invite you to come and uh, we might be declaring things just as you participate in this. Uh, but you come now, you participate and you declare something new over your lives knowing that God is not yet finished. He sees new life even when we feel like it's over. We want to join with individuals. We want to join with your spirit. Please don't stop. If you're declaring things for your family, if you're declaring things for your health, we want to join with you in declaring that. We declare new things over marriages. We declare new life over marriages. We declare new life in finances. We declare new life in health, mind, body and spirit. We declare new life between parent and child, between grandparent and children and grandchildren. We declare, Father, that you're doing a new work, that you're calling out new life in places that we cannot yet see. But we want to plant ourselves firmly in you. May we trust in you. May we not be afraid. We will not be afraid. We are not afraid. We choose to believe that you are doing a new thing. We declare that in participation of this meal that you will heal marriages, that you'll heal broken relationships between parent and child, that those children who have walked away from you or aren't following you faithfully will be returned to you, Father will come back to you, that you'll gather people around them who will inspire them to follow you. Father, in participation in this meal, we want to declare a resurrection life over bodies that are broken and hurting, over bodies that have been hurt by the past, over abuses, over disappointments. We declare the promise of the resurrection life. You are doing a new thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I don't know what the dogs are in your life. I don't know what the lions are or the wild oxen are. But we declare deliverance. We declare you rescued.
I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. He has not despised or disowned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you I, will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All of the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he has done it. God's will and purpose is that we encounter his life in the promise of his new life. The resurrection of Jesus was not just for Jesus. <laughs> it was to demonstrate the power of God that even though we might go through hard places and places of death, that's not the will of the Father. The will of the Father is resurrection. Yeah? We might not feel like that. We might, not even, we might even struggle to believe it. But when we declare it, we're believing a truth that we cannot yet see. But God can see it. Don't be afraid. Just believe. We want to declare the name of Jesus. Um, I'm not going to come back up here. I'm just going to let this song, The Name of Jesus, do His work. If you need ministry, if you would like some prayer, you can come down the front and receive prayer from me or from the elders or Jared, or you can ask for someone specifically. If you trust someone close to you, just grab them and pray with them. Pray for a breakthrough. Ask for that faith to be restored in you. If you need to just come and, and be close and where nobody else can really see you and you need to be on your knees as we sing this song, we invite you to do that. And at the end of the service, if you just need to sit here and soak, let it be. If you just need to leave or if you want to go and grab a cuppa, that's available to you. But just trust in the beautiful, wondrous, powerful, glorious name of Jesus. Like, die to self so that we can see what Jesus does.